0: And would you please join me once again for a word of prayer? Father, the privilege has been totally ours to exalt your name, to sing praises to you, to, to lift high your name, to exalt it, and to worship you this morning. And the music is what sometimes really draws to us, often speaks to us, but the music today, Father, we pray, pray that it has done one thing above anything else, and that is that it has prepared our hearts to be open to the truth of your word. As we go into another uh, section of our study through the book of Joshua, Father, would you please add your blessing to it? And most importantly, Father, would your spirit move in our midst as you know it needs to be done. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Back when my wife and I and our family lived in Ohio, we attended a really good church, and I wasn't the pastor there. But we were located very close to the city of Cleveland, and there was an inner city mission in downtown Cleveland that was trying to renovate a grocery store into a community center. Our pastor got the word that they needed some help, so the date was set on a Saturday when we were going to send a group of people from our church to go help them out, and I volunteered to go along. I just have to try to communicate to you how excited I was about helping that day. I was going to be with people I loved, some of them among the very best friends that I had here on this earth. And we were going to help a really good cause to try to get this grocery store renovated into a community center. So we traveled that day into Cleveland to where the grocery store was being renovated. This was going to be a great day working for the mission and spending time with good friends. Upon arrival, Different duties and jobs were doled out. My friend Bruce and I were given the task of finishing a drop ceiling. First thing we had to do was get some ladders, put them up against the wall, scurry up to the top and strike a chalk line so that we knew where the framework was going to be put to finish off the drop ceiling. And so up we scurried on our ladders to strike a chalk line. And that is when my life was drastically changed. We were up about 11 feet in the air, and my ladder came out from under me, and I fell landing on my feet and then falling to the concrete floor. I knew something was wrong right away. First off, my feet were killing me. I learned later that I had fractured both heels when I landed I was taken by ambulance to a local hospital where tests were run and x-rays were taken. And I learned that the momentum of my body weight falling and then coming to a very abrupt stop resulted in a vertebrae in my lower back just being crushed. No surgery could be done to try to put all the pieces back together. I was given a brace and hope that the bone pieces would would fuse back together. But I have to tell you, that was a sudden reversal to my day. I was looking forward to an incredible day. This was just going to be just excellent. But suddenly, everything changed. And I suffer from lower back pain to this day. Well, here in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 6 ends on this high note. The people of Israel have gone up against the, the city of Jericho, but we noted last time it really wasn't Israel. It was, it was God Himself that fought the battle of Jericho, and the city was reduced to piles of rubble. The nation of Israel had captured a main city. And I could imagine they're like riding the crest of a wave because this is what they're sure of. This is going to be this way for the rest of the time that we're here. We've got a lot of other cities that we're going to be going up against in this area that God has given to us. And so no doubt, just what we saw happen at Jericho was going to happen with all of the other cities that we face as well. But it turns out the opposite is true. And here in chapter 7, tragedy strikes with a sudden reversal of, in what happened in the city of, or in the nation of Israel. The first words of chapter seven strike this ominous note, don't they? But the people. God had given vic- obvious victory to Israel that day, but I want to tell you, there was another battle raging that day, and it wasn't a battle with the city of Jericho, it was an inward battle that was taking place. There was a battle raging in the hearts of the people with whether they were going to be completely obedient to the commands of God, whether they were going to follow the instructions of God. There was a battle of detailed, disciplined obedience, and it was a battle that one man named Achan spectacularly lost. Jump with me at verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. God told them to make sure you devote everything to destruction. Destruction. Everything except the silver, the gold, the bronze, the iron, those things should be donated to the treasury. That was the command of God, but the people of Israel struggled with that. And now we're being told this right at the beginning of chapter 7. We're given a sneak peek into what, what's happening here. Joshua doesn't find this out until halfway through the chapter. So God lets us know about what's happening here because it was going it's going to help us understand what happens in the rest of this chapter, and what happens is the judgment of God upon compromise. It's not the first time this has happened in the nation of Israel. Back in Numbers chapter 16, the people grumble against God. Remember what happens? The ground ground opens up and swallows some of them. Numbers chapter 21, God sends a plague of snakes in their midst because of their grumbling. Numbers 25, God judged the nation for their sexual immorality and 24,000 people were killed in one day. But in this event that we're going to be talking about here in Joshua chapter 7, one man's actions had a devastating effect on on a whole nation. Here's what happens when obedience is not complete when God's truth is compromised. First of all, in verses 2 through 5, we see defeat. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up from there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gates as far as Shabarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. What a sudden reversal! They had shouted, and the walls of Jericho had fallen. Everything in the city of Jericho was supposed to be devoted to destruction except those things of value which were to be given into the treasury. And they thought that's exactly what had happened. And so now they go up against the city of Ai. It's the next city in line to be dealt with. It's not a big city, certainly much smaller than the city of Jericho. So Joshua does the sensible thing. He does what every good commander would do, and that is he sends out some spies. Go check it out. Make sure we know what we are dealing with here. Notice that no divine tactics are sought, nor are they given. When they came up against Jericho, God told them, you're going to march around the city once every day. And then on the sixth day, you're going to march all the way around it. Or on the seventh day, you're going to march all the way around it seven times, and then you're going to shout, and the walls are going to come to down. No divine instructions were given for A.I. Joshua didn't seek anything out. I don't know that we need to make a big deal of that. The spies come back with this report of complacency. It's really not much of a place and can probably be taken with two to 3,000 men. The nation of Israel completely forgot. They were not the ones who fought against Jericho. So now they're evaluating with human eyes 3,000 men go into a battle, 36 are struck down, and 2,964 tuck tail and run. Check my math. Ben's back there nodding, so I know it must be good. These are the first Israelites to die of this new generation that has come through the wilderness. Defeat is staring Joshua and the nation of Israel right in the face. We've seen this phrase used before, but now whose hearts are melting like water? It's not the inhabitants of Jericho, nor is it the inhabitants of the other city. Now the people of Israel have faced defeat, and it is something that is a sudden reversal. And as a parallel, I think, for the church today, when God's truth is compromised by human rebellion against His divine word, we can expect to face defeat as well. If we aren't doing God's things God's way, we can't expect victory in our life. If our message is trashed and we become known for ineffectiveness and capitulation, we can expect God to withdraw his blessing. It's just the way it happens. And there's not a Christian who is here today who has not experienced this to some extent in their own lives where we compromised, we sinned, we gave in, and we saw God withdraw his blessing from our lives. And the only remedy is to turn from our sin and our failure and cast ourselves upon the mercy of God. So first off, When God's truth is compromised, there's defeat. Secondly, verses 6 through 9, there's dismay. Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel. They put dust on their heads. These are all typical signs, typical Jewish signs of incredible mourning. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us in the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before the enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off your name from the earth. What will you do for your great name? I mean, give him credit, at least his initial instincts were right. He tore his clothes, fell to his face, he and the elders putting dust on their heads. They're not sure what has just happened. They don't know, They they were the ones who expected a great victory at AI just like everybody else. And all of a sudden, there has been a turn of events that they never saw coming. But they don't know what we already know because it was given to us in verse 1. They don't know what has happened here. All they know is that something was supposed to happen that didn't happen. And to his credit, at least Joshua is ultimately concerned with what's going to happen to the name of our God. Yes, he's concerned about the safety of his people. The Canaanites are going to hear about this. Word spreads fast over there. Remember, the Canaanites had already heard what happened to them at the Red Sea. Canaanites sure, certainly knew what happened to them at the Jordan River. So if the word spreads among the Canaanites that the Ai defeated the people of Israel, Joshua's concerned about that. But ultimately, he's concerned about, God, what's, gonna, what's it going to say about you as God? Do you ever stop to think when you are tempted with sin, what will this say to people about God? It's a great question to ask. And I think it's significant to note that Joshua asks God some questions. I think they're wrong questions. He says, God, have you brought us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? No, Joshua. You've already been told that God said you're going to have victory. Well, would we have been better off over on the other side of the Jordan? No, Joshua. You've already eaten of the fruits. You've already tasted of what's available there. You've seen God's deliverance at Jericho. So clearly... What is happening here is happening because there has been a compromise. Let me tell you this. Here is a principle. You might want to write this one down. Sin always blurs our vision and distorts our view of God. That's exactly what happened with Achan. Sin always blurs our vision and distorts our view of God. But at least Joshua did the right thing in taking it to God. Verses 10 through 13, we find the diagnosis. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They've taken some of the devoted things and have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more. This is quite a threat here. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. God's diagnosis begins with a huge rebuke here. The trouble is not with God. The problem is with Israel. And the big issue is simply sin. They've taken. They've stolen. They've lied. They've put them among their own possessions. These are huge sins, but I want you to notice God takes the initiative in trying and showing Joshua, here's how you can fix the problem. Let me tell you something, folks, no matter what your sin is, God always has a solution. He's already laid it out for us in his word, and that's what he says to Joshua here. Here's how you can fix these problems. There's a way forward. There's a there's a restoration process that can take place. Do you notice God told Joshua to get up twice? Get up. Get up. There's work to be done. When you find sin in your life, this is not the time to sit there and wallow in it. It's time to get up and start doing what the Bible says about sin when we find it in our lives. There is a process of restoration. Verses 14 through 21, we find the disclosure. In the morning, therefore, you and, he's, and, and this is Joshua speaking to the people of Israel. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the households that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted thing shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he's transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he's done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clans of the Zerahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the God, to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done, and do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them, and took them, And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Joshua spells out the steps for how this can be fixed, verses 14 to 50. And then Joshua is quick to do exactly what God has told him to do. But here's what strikes me. That was a really long process, wasn't it? Did God know who had taken the sin? Absolutely. Why didn't God sit down, you know, speak to Joshua and say, okay, there's sin in the camp. And Achan has to be dealt with. That would have saved a lot of time, wouldn't it? Here's my best best thought on this. I think the answer to why God did it this way lies in the fact that the whole nation is implicated in one man's sin because it's very likely that the whole nation saw all the stuff too and were tempted, but they didn't give in, but one man did. And although Achan and his family alone will bear the punishment, God wants the nation to see that the smallest of sins can affect an entire nation. And the smallest of sins can affect an entire church, by the way. God wants the entire nation to fear sin. I've told you about my weird imagination, right? I can't help but wonder what Achan was thinking. When the tribes go before Joshua, and the tribe of Joshua is taken, or the tribe of Judah is taken, and then it comes his clan, and then his clan, and then his household, and then him. I can guarantee you this: at the moment Achan was chosen among all the people of Israel. And at the moment that Achan knew that he and his whole family were going to be destroyed because of that sin, he despised every single thing he took. He hated it. He said, man, was I stupid. Man, that was the dumbest thing I could have done. He can't escape the fact that his personal choices have cost the lives of 36 men. Think about that weighing on your conscience when you're trying to get to sleep. The principle is still true this day. Sin will take you further and cost you more and keep you longer than you could ever dream. It's dangerous don't mess around with it. Don't play with it. Don't say to yourself, I think I can do this and be okay. You can't. But to his credit, Achan acknowledges a sin and admits sin. Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. This is what I did. And notice how often he uses the word I. I saw. I coveted. I took. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23 says this, Be sure your sins will find you out. And Achan is a perfect example of this. Folks, I love you. But I have to repeat the words of the Apostle John here in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We can't mess around with the world. We need to love those people, but what the world represents should not be mentioned even among us. Thirty-six men died, and the entire nation was put into defeat because of covetousness. Listen, folks, you have no idea what your sins will cost you or others. We are called to live pure, holy lives. And when you sin, which it will happen, you've got to deal with it right away. This is where we do battle against the world and the flesh and the devil every day. As we face these temptations every day, we are forced to answer this question. Will I let God be God right now? Achan said no. when we think that something else can take God's place and we can earn our and, and can earn our trust and devotion, the consequences will always spell disaster. And that's why verses 23 through 26 speak of destruction. So Joshua sent the messengers they ran to the tent and behold it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and donkeys, and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring Trouble on us. Acor means trouble, the valley of trouble. Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the valley of Acor. Folks, this is a horrible conclusion to this story. The goods are discovered in Achan's tent. His confession is verified. A judicial sentence is carried out on everything that Achan has, starting with the gold and the silver, but including his entire family and his livestock. And here are the consequences of sin in our lives. A great heap of stones is piled up over everything that has been destroyed, and the place where that happened has been called the valley of trouble ever since, because personal sin in our lives will always lead to trouble. What we've seen here, folks, is absolutely horrifying on a human level. It could be seen as even worse on a spiritual level. We dare not downplay the holiness of God. It's not to be messed with. If you are troubled by all that happened to Achan along with his innocent wife and children, we need to remember what our sin did to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For us, the story of Achan should end with the glory of the gospel. Look back on Calvary, and there you will see the spotless, sinless Son of God nailed to a Roman cross, Because of our iniquities, because of our sin, dying in our place as our representative and substitute so that we don't have to suffer the destruction that Achan knew, but instead we can be forgiven and restored. Let me make this very personal this morning. Do you have sin in your life because of what you have coveted and longed for more than God's holiness in your life? Does your life need a valley of trouble reminder? Worse, have you never accepted the free gift of salvation that's offered to you by faith in Jesus Christ? If not, there's something far worse than a valley of trouble that is awaiting you. It's an eternity of damnation. But it doesn't have to be that way, folks. That's the beauty of the gospel. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love, the precious love we saw a song about earlier, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Don't ever forget that God is ruthless about sin, but has grace and mercy in abundance to deal with yours. Seek his continuing grace. Take advantage of the indwelling spirit of God to enable you to fight against sin because sin will take you further and cost you more, and keep you longer than you ever dreamed. Let's pray. Father, the lesson that we see in the life of Achan is truly a horrifying event. I cannot imagine the look on his face when his sin was discovered. It's the look that needs to be on our face when we sin because our sin is always discovered to a God who knows all, sees all, and can never, we can never escape from his, from his eyes. Father, teach us how horrible our sin is. And teach us to come to you for the process of restoration. I pray right now, Father, for those who may be here or those who are hearing my voice recorded, Lord, if they have not come to you to take advantage of the free gift of salvation, that they would do that now while they have opportunity because none of us has ever ever guaranteed another day or another hour. Father, bring them to you and save them. And for those of us who are already believers, We know that we don't get rid of our sin just when we come to you for salvation. We deal with that sin nature until you call us home to glory. So teach us, Father, regularly to seek for you to change our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name.